Thank you all, worship team. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Austin Brash. I'm the campus minister here at RUF. We're glad y'all are here. And uh, we're glad that y'all can hear from Walker tonight. I was going to give a little bit of an intro, but Hannah covered all the uh, essential facts for sure. But um, yeah, Walker is an awesome minister. Uh, for those of you that have been deeply involved in RUF, we pride ourselves on being a relational ministry, meaning we want to do uh, ministry with y'all, meaning we want to know you, we want to get inside your stories, and we want to care for you. Uh, and Walker exemplifies that every single day. I'm super proud of him as an intern, and many of y'all have experienced Walker's relational gifts time and time again. Uh, I've only been here for four months, but y'all have had the benefit of knowing him for much longer than that. So I'm excited to hear from him. I will read the passage for us. Luke 18, 9 through 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is Jesus speaking. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me pray for us. Father, there is a lot of beautiful, rich truth in here for sinners, self-righteous people like ourselves. Um, painful and hard, but Lord, you uh, do not break a bruised reed as you promise in your scriptures. So as you meet us with your word tonight through Walker, uh, give us the comfort and also the conviction of Jesus. Bring us to your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So, Jeff, y'all can come here again? Cool. Uh, thank y'all for coming tonight. This is uh, pretty surreal for me to be up here, but I love y'all, I love this ministry, um, so I'm excited to get to teach y'all. Um, so, tonight we're going to take a break from Galatians uh, when Austin asked me what I wanted to teach about, uh, I just kind of immediately thought of this parable. Eggs have already caught on it before, and it's going to be easier for me to prepare. B, uh, it has been really convicting for me, and I think it needs anyone, regardless of where you're at in, in your faith. Um, so, okay, we've got three points. We've got the Pharisee's problem, the tax collector's problem, and Jesus' Okay, so before we get into the Pharisee, I want to look at that first verse where it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Don't look at that word righteous. Uh, I don't know what comes to mind when y'all think of the word or not righteous, but uh, for me, for the longest time, I always, my mind just went to like the religious things that I did. Like, and I know we, we say that like all of life should be ministry, but we kind of have categories for, like, religious things that we do, and then, like, the rest of our lives. Um, but a big light bulb moment for me was uh, one Sunday at uh, Christ Prez. Wes Newsom gave his definition 
uh, from David Dolan's book, Sexuality. And he says that uh, we can basically exchange that word righteousness for enoughness. Like, your strive to be righteous is your strive to feel like you are enough. Um, and regardless of where you're at in your spiritual life, like, uh, I mean, you may not be a Christian, you may not give a rip about like wanting to live up to God's standard of holiness, but I can pretty much guarantee that everyone in this room has felt that burden of, are you enough? Like, are you living up to this standard that you have set yourself that you feel like would validate you as a person? Um, so I think before we start, I think it's important to address that and look at that kind of So if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, we look at uh, Genesis 2, we see that originally Adam and Eve are living in the garden. They have perfect relationship with God. And it says in chapter 2, verse 25, since the last verse before Satan comes in, it says that they were naked and unashamed. Then what happens? Satan comes in, he tempts them, they take and eat the fruit. Then it says the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. That's when they get embarrassed, they get fig leaves and cover themselves. Um, so right from the outset, we see sin fundamentally causes shame. Uh, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And then sin comes in and they feel shame. They feel the need to hide. Okay, so what is shame and how does it affect us? Um, Brian went through this um, uh, last year. He uses this quote from Brene Brown, who she's this famous author, lecturer. She's, uh, she's awesome. Her TED Talk on shame has like 20 million views. So she's just a very like, respected authority in this field. Uh, she says that basically all of us have this idea of who, what the person that we think we should be is up here. And then down here, we have who we think we actually are. And this gap in between is where we experience shame. Uh, so shame is saying that if you saw me, the real me down here, you would reject me. Uh, and so we try to portray this idealized version of us, both to ourselves and to others. Uh, so my kind of point is, is that Righteousness is whatever you are using to close this gap of shame. Whatever you think you need to feel fundamentally right as a person. And we see that from the outside of the Bible, this stems from and points to uh, our need for a perfect relationship with God. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was broken when sin came in, and that is actually what all of our deepest longings pointed to, are pointing to, is that... Um, we need that relationship fixed. But we're all looking for righteousness. But it's not a matter of if you're looking for righteousness, it's just a matter of where you're looking for it. And if I feel like the burden is on me to achieve that sense of righteousness, then I'm by definition self-righteous. That's where we get that term. Okay, so looking at the Pharisees, we kind of disconnect. So background on Pharisees. Pharisees were like religious leaders of that day. Um, they knew the Bible the best. They were the, the great teachers. Um, good moral examples. Like when Jesus was saying this to the original hearers, like they would have thought of like how we think of the pastor. Like Pharisees, like now we kind of think of Pharisees as bad guys if you've grown up in the church, but like back then they would have thought of like probably the best guy in the But so when we look at his prayer, I think we can immediately see that it's very comparison based and it's all about him. He goes through, he lists all the people that he's better than. Um, he lists all the religious things that he does. And for context, like, 
fasting twice a week, giving tithes of all that he gets. And that was way more than was required at that time. Like, think of, like, the person in your, like, the godliest person in your life who's, like, teaching Sunday schools, you know, reading the Bible every day, doing charity, all this stuff. Like, on the outside, it looks like he, I mean, he's just a good dude. But if we look at his prayer, it doesn't actually reflect any appreciation for God as he is. It just, it just reflects like appreciation for what God has done for him. So he's not actually doing any of these things out of love for God. He's just trying to use God as a means of achieving the sins of righteousness, right? So I don't think it's hard for us to see. Um, I mean, religion is and has always been like one, of, one of the main avenues that people use to achieve this sense of righteousness. Like, whether it's just by doing all the right things so that you know, I think God owes me a good life, or it's by doing all the right things so I think that um, you know, people will admire me or respect me. Religion is an easy target for, uh, for people who want just to establish like, what they think is a worthy identity. Um, so that's what this Pharisee's done, right? He's, his whole sense of self-righteousness is on the fact that he is like a religious authority and he is somebody that people look to. Um, but I want us to look at what this verb, what this passage says that self-righteousness does. So we look at the first line, it says, He told this parable to someone who trusted that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So I think if we flip that around, we can say that anytime I'm treating other people with contempt, that is actually a righteousness problem. That is a direct product of self-righteousness. Um, because if my identity is wholly bound up in the gospel, and that I am completely undeservedly and yet unconditionally loved in Jesus, there's just no room for treating other people badly. Like, if we, if you profess that you are living out of the gospel of grace, and then you're turning around and treating other people badly, there's, there's a disconnect there. And we all do it. Like, it is... Uh, it is our default. It is autopilot. If I wake up in the morning and I'm not intentionally coming back to the gospel daily, like I'm going to gravitate towards putting my righteousness in something other than God. It's just how we're wired. Um, and if my righteousness is bound up in something other than God, then naturally I'm just going to reduce or idolize people to the degree that they help me achieve or get in the way of that righteousness. Right? If we're fundamentally just striving for righteousness, which the Bible says we are, then we just start to view people as a means to an end of getting this righteousness. So, I mean, just think about examples. Like, your righteousness is in being popular and well-liked, but of course you're going to be good to the people that you think like, will help you build up that sense of righteousness. But then we'll probably turn around and not give the time of day to somebody who you know, doesn't fit that bill. Um, if part of your righteousness is in being productive, efficient, um, always busy, you'll start to resent people when they inconvenience you and ask for your time. Um, if part of your righteousness is bound up in being right all the time, then when you interact with people from other uh, political backgrounds, religious backgrounds, cultural, whatever, then instead of seeing them as a human being and asking them like, how to serve them, you're just going to see them as an accountant. You're challenging your sense of righteousness. Uh, of course, if my righteousness is bound up in being a good Christian, 
I'm never going to openly degrade somebody because we have this kind of idea of like good Christians don't do that. So if I was to do that, especially in public, like that would just undermine that whole sense of righteousness and just kind of expose it. Uh, but secretly, I mean, I'm going to find myself like looking down on people who aren't like me, uh, resenting people when they are inconvenienced, you know, etc. Uh, so, just a good question to just be <coughs> cognizant of is just like when you find yourself treating people badly, I think oftentimes if you trace that back, you will find that like really what was happening was they were coming after your sense of righteousness. Uh, I mean, this is why the Pharisees hated Jesus, right? Like, sometimes I've thought, like, like, why would these guys hate this man who is just healing people, doing miracles, um, feeding the poor, like, doing all these great things? And those don't sound like reasons to hate somebody. It sounds like just kind of overdramatic. Um, but if we look at what the righteousness was bound up in, a, they were the spiritual leaders and teachers. They were the guys with all the answers. And now people were going to Jesus for this teaching and advice. Uh, and B, they, they pride themselves on being morally better than they And Jesus was coming in um, and exposing their motives and saying that that actually wasn't the case. So he was actually just coming after their righteousness. Uh, and they couldn't handle it. So they had to get rid of it. So another question to be asking yourself is, like, what are some ways that Jesus comes after your righteousness? Uh, we, I mean, we all have them. Like, maybe you're the, the church kid who, um, you know, grew up doing all the right things, uh, never caved to partying or anything. Um, and the idea that those people who are doing whatever they want and are actually being celebrated in the eyes of a lot of people um, that look like they've got it all going on, the fact that those people are just as deserving of God's love and acceptance as you, maybe that really puts you off. Uh, or maybe you, you know, just you kind of want to be viewed as a solid, all-around person. Of course, in the South, that's going to uh, involve Christianity because down here we think that solid people are Christians. So you'll go to church or do Bible studies, uh, say you're a Christian, but. But you definitely don't want to be like extreme in that regard, right? Because that would lead to some awkward conversations and weird looks. Um, so the idea that Jesus is actually Lord of your life and Jesus, Jesus is enthroned as king, that isn't so well. So you'll kind of blur the lines on a lot of those claims. Regardless of whether your righteousness, righteousness is, if it's not in Jesus, he's going to come out. Okay, uh, second point, tax collector. Yeah. So we looked at what Pharisees were. Tax collectors back in that day were like the complete opposite. Like this guy, these guys were like the lowest of the law. Like um, they, so they technically worked for the Roman government, which they were oppressing the Jewish uh, nation. Um, so they were these guys would collect taxes um, from their fellow countrymen and then take things off the top. So they're basically like stealing from their their friends and family. Um, and everybody knew it. Like, we would all hate this guy if we if we knew him back then. Like, he, uh, like, he was just kind of a sleeve bag. He knew it, and everybody else knew it. In the eyes of, of culture, at least. Um, but for whatever reason, in this passage, he has come before God. Um, and I think what 
he is in this passage is he's just an example of somebody who uh, he has realized that the things that he has built his life on, the things that he's actually been looking to for righteousness apart from God, have gotten him nowhere. And they're actually not going to bring him true life. Um, and for whatever reason, he has realized that what he has actually been longing for is acceptance from God. His problem, unlike the Pharisees, is he feels like he doesn't deserve that at all. Um, so, third point, let's look at Jesus' answer. Um, so, Jesus said that only the tax collector one way is justified. So, Jesus clearly saw justification as being the answer to both of these guys' problems. But that is what these guys are actually longing for. Okay, so what is justification? Um, if you've been coming to Lord Group this uh, semester, you've probably heard Austin talk about it. Um, it's a big point of Paul's in Galatians. Uh, Dan Orland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, gives a great definition. He says, To be justified is to be declared righteous in the sight of God, fully and legally exonerated in the divine court, based entirely on what Jesus has done in our place. So we've looked at a lot of different ways that we can put our righteousness in our own performance. Um, and we've looked at all of those pitfalls. So why is putting our righteousness in Jesus um, any better? Austin's gone through this a lot, but um, if you're like me, like the fact that thinking that the burden of performance is over, it's just like the best news possible. Like, instead of waking up and like my mind immediately going to, okay, what do I have to do today in order to like feel like I'm, you know, getting it done, just to, the thought of like being able to just accept the verdict that God says, like, you're actually enough. I think that is what the gospel is all about. Uh, the Bible is clear that we are all in need of perfect righteousness and relation. To God. And we see that from Genesis 2. That is what all of our longings are actually pointing to. Um, and the gospel is that Jesus, Jesus Christ, by actually living a perfect life and taking the penalty of all of our sins, now freely offers that to us. Um, so if you have put your trust in Jesus, that when God looks at you, he actually sees. He doesn't see whatever else you've been trying to put together as a resume. He actually just sees the perfect life of Jesus. Like, I remember when I first heard that, I thought, like, it would be heretical to, like, accept that. You know what I mean? Like, like who, like, how do we, how do we get that? Um, but it means that, I mean, instead of trying to live up to these self-made standards of righteousness, which are devastating when we fail, and let's be honest, even when we do feel like we've lived up, it doesn't really lead to good things, and it definitely doesn't last. Um, Jesus is actually offering all of us a new righteousness and identity. Um, one that says, you're not only enough, but you are actually a beloved son or daughter of the king. Uh, and it's completely free. Uh, and you may have heard that before, and if you haven't, then you know, we're, we're super glad that you're here. But I think an important point is uh, to think about is, like, how is it that he can offer that just completely freely? Like, we always think that there is a catch involved. Like, because that's just how, like, we're wired. Like, when we love people, because we're all striving for our own sense of righteousness, um, there's always kind of, like, a hidden agenda of, like, 
what is in it for us. Like we just kind of inherently view people as a means to an end. Um, so when we hear that like we're offered salvation, but it's a completely free gift, um, if you're like me, there's kind of a sense of like, okay, but, but now what? Like, when is the catch coming? Uh, and uh, but think about it. what if the person who is offering this to you is actually completely righteous in and of himself? So Philippians uh, 2, verse 6 through 11, um, is a great verse. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count the quality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every man, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, what this verse, verse is saying basically is that Jesus had it all. He was in the form of God. He, he is God. And he, he was in heaven in perfect relationship with the Father. Like, he was the definition of perfect righteousness. And this verse is saying that he gave it all up in order um, to bring us into that. But the point that he is perfectly righteous means that there is nothing that you can give him that he needs because he doesn't need because he's perfectly righteous, you are actually not a means to an end to him. You are the end itself. Like relationship with you is his end goal. When you come to him, he has absolutely no other agenda than your very best interest at heart. Because there's nothing that he needs from you. Um, and yes, I think it's important to address part of him wanting the very best for you means turning away from the life of sin. Like, I don't know about you, growing up, whenever I heard the gospel, and I heard that I'm saved, and it's completely free, but you have to repent and turn away from sin, I was like, okay, but there's the catch, right? Um, and, but what I've, what I've come to see what the Bible teaches is that Jesus wanting you to turn from a life of sin is no more a catch than a loving father who sees his son, addicted to son, horrible drug, and wants him to bring who wants to bring him out of that? Like, First Peter says that sin wages war on our souls. Part of being saved by Jesus involves seeing that, that he is actually good and that he is actually the way to true life. And that because sin is, is apart from Jesus, it cannot lead to life. Because only he is able to give life. Um, so to close, I just love this parable because um, I, I think it's just relevant for anybody else, regardless of whether you're at. Um, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time and you kind of identify with this Pharisee of, um, you know that you can put in your righteousness and things other than God. You may have been even using God to achieve this sense of righteousness. Um, or you're like a tax collector, you know, like, I've been putting my righteousness in everything but God. And um, just the answer for both, if we look at the passage, is to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like it shows that when you come before God, uh, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, His response has absolutely nothing to do 
with what you bring to the table. It is 100% on his desire to love sinful people. Uh, that is who he is. That is what he wants more than anything. Uh, and he's offering us a new righteousness, a new identity. He says, instead of a slave, you are actually a beloved son of the daughter of the king. Uh, and you can trust him. He died to give it to you. Uh, if you think you don't deserve it, then that's how he actually knows for you. That's the invitation tonight. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, uh, thank you that you just love these simple people. And it's not because of, uh, there's nothing there for you, it's just who you are. You love giving yourself um, for others. Uh, I pray that you just by your spirit help us to believe that more than I. I want to see you as more beautiful. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for this time. In your name is Brian. Amen.